Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, one. Let's go. Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with the purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your time to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, one. Let's go. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my lovely bride, Autumn Barrier bride wife now well whatever <laughs> what's happening so this is our second opportunity to do this the first time we were laughing so much we couldn't publish it so um autumn welcome hey from across the, across the room right <laughs> so autumn uh i wanted to share your story a couple of things about your story and uh, one of those is the fact that you're a successful wedding photographer. Yes, I like to think so. Why do you Why do you think that you're successful with your photography? What makes you stand out different from everybody else? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I step um, when I step into somebody's wedding, I kind of take it on as my own wedding or as one of my best friends wedding, how I would want them to be documented or how I know they would want to be documented. And instead of, I guess, trying to force an emotion, I try to just let stuff roll off the back and kind of just create it as it happens. And um, a lot of my couples tend to really like that I can be open and upfront and be myself around them. So I'm usually cracking jokes and letting my personality flow, which I think is pretty decent. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think I can relax any of my couples uh, more for the reason that um, I know a lot of micro expressions like you do and in, in body language. And so that plays a key role into a lot of things. If I know someone's uncomfortable, I can easily get, up, get them out of the situation. So that's a really good point. And so I'm glad you brought up the micro expression stuff because I think that is... I think that's such a key point to a lot of people. And I'll just say in sales in particular, in particular, facial expressions of body language can tell you whether the person is being authentic or being inauthentic. So what would you say is your 
you, you said that you are always you always crack jokes with your couples. Give me an example of what you mean by that. They're like little um, tasks that I have a, a couple do, and you know the the most one the one that I do the most is like I'll tell the um, one of the people in the uh, one of the bride or the groom to whisper to each other like their favorite breakfast meat in the other one's ear and they have to do it with a lisp um, just to be able to get them to relax. It's, it's an awkward moment for them, but it, once they start laughing, they can, you'll start to see that their shoulders will start to come down. The tension will start to break. Um, and they'll just be a little bit more open, especially the gentlemen. The gentlemen tend to have a harder time to open up as you probably know when it comes to pictures, because girls get in front of the mirror and we always pose all the time. We watch, America's Next Top Model, and we look at magazines constantly, especially with bride stuff. So we're we're constantly exposed to posing and know what is probably our best angle. Whereas guys, they don't know shit about that as much, so they're just kind of walking in blindly. So I'm trying to help them through it the entire time. I would say too, another piece of that is that the guys probably just don't give a fuck, right? They just don't care about the pictures as much as. The, the the bride or the the future bride I mean I know for me when when we got married it was miserable because not because it was our wedding day but because it was cold and it right. was wet and it was just it was fucking cold so I would advise anybody that if you are going to get married in March do it somewhere where it's warm and actually we did do it somewhere where it was supposed to be warm but Anyway, go ahead. Right. Just, you know, as a tip for a guy, make sure, like my my sweet husband didn't do, he or did do, make sure you don't do it. Whereas I am trying to love up on him. We're trying to stay warm and I'm I'm hearing in my ear, are we fucking done? Are we fucking done? Are we fucking done? So that's a tip to not do. Well, how many guys, guys do you think are doing that? Um they're probably not like in there as we're walking to a different spot. They probably have some um, inkling or asking the question. But, you know, for the most part with my couples, I always tell them, hey, when you guys are um, booking with me or we're getting our engagement session plans ready to go, I need you guys to go ahead and reserve a, um, a restaurant so that way afterwards you have somewhere to go. It gives them something to look forward to and it kind of makes it a whole big shebang out of it. So it, that makes sense because it, yeah, it makes total sense. You want you want people to feel super comfortable when you're doing their picture. So, all right. So I, this is the biggest thing that I feel like I want to talk with you about is the fact that how your sales has, has transformed, and this is not a, a pitch for me, but this is, I want to talk about how your, your sales has transformed over the last five to seven years. I know when we met, right, you were charging $500 for a deposit, and I was appalled that that's all you were charging because I felt like people could walk away from $500 and not be too um, invested. Right. And so now you charge them half of the cost of the package, whatever that is, let's just say it's $5,000, $6,000, so they have to pay up front and then the other half 30 or 45 days before the wedding is correct. Yeah. Four, uh, four weeks. So 30 days. So 
So I, what I do, what I want to talk to you about, and I think that most photographers probably struggle with this, is the, the sales portion. I mean, did you ever in a million years think you would consider yourself a salesperson? No, because I think, you know, and as much as I've heard you talk either on Clubhouse or to somebody else, you know, a lot of people get a big, uh, they think of salespeople as uh, snaky and um, scummy kind of people. They're the ones that come up in the, the what do you call it? The cars, car salesman, basically. Yeah. Um, so that was always in the back of my mind that I never wanted to be that person until I realized that it wasn't me selling somebody. It was me saying, I know I can do the job and this, these are the reasons why. And if you go somewhere else, you're not going to get the same service. Cause I know I can do better. Yeah. So how much do you think this has played into, you know, your confidence with, your your consultations right i mean because here's the thing like you we've had this conversation you i i said hey what is your pro your sales process and you said i don't have a sales process i said well you do have a sales process and and then we went through kind of the ev the evolution of what that looks like and so can you just kind of walk me through beginning in you know in short detail about how you do your consultations like what is it you do to prepare for it what do you do when you get there how do you meet with the couple how do you go through your process and how do you finalize that process this episode of the successful life podcast is brought to you by house call pro whether you're looking to streamline your operations reduce paperwork or boost revenue, Housecall Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Uh, for the most part, I start out with uh, sending sending the couple an email saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to meet you here and here. Uh, what time works best for you? And if it's normally it is at a coffee shop, let's just be real. Um, but I get their order and go ahead and get that place. By the time they get there, they'll have their coffee or their tea ready to go. Um, well, I have on, one second. Okay. So, so, so that, that's the, okay. So that's one of the first parts that I wanted you to hit on. And it, and I really wanted you to talk about that in particular, because that is the building rapport stage of what you're doing with your clients, right? Because you may or may not have met them at the time. Typically, you haven't met them, right? right? But by doing that and going out of your way, going the extra mile, buying their coffee, making sure it's there, it yeah. builds that relationship with your couple. Would you agree? Yeah, of course. Okay, so... A lot of them um, are blown away by that. I bet, yeah. Because... You know, when they come in, you're ready to go and you've got their favorite drink there or whatever, right? So then how, what's the next step? How do you, you know, once they sit down, right, and they maybe they take a sip of their coffee, what happens next? I think what, you know, to touch really quick on what the next thing I try to do is I try to get to know my couple 
I think a lot of photographers go straight into, let's get into the wedding details. And far as uh, when I went sit down with my couple, I need to know who they are. And not only am I selling myself to them, they have to kind of sell themselves to me because if I know for a fact that we're not a good match, we're not gonna buy well, I'm not gonna be the right person for the wedding day and their, doc their wedding's not gonna be documented at the best that it could possibly um, be documented if it was somebody else that could be more relatable. And I've had those a couple of times where I've had people who tell me that they, you know, they're into the Star Trek or Star Wars and I think that's fantastic, but I'm not, I didn't watch those shows and I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I didn't watch, this is really bad that I'm saying the Stranger Things. Um, but that's some of the things that um, some of my, some of the couples that will tell me and if I tell them I haven't seen it, it's usually a kind of like a red flag. Well, maybe we won't get along. I like her work, but personality has to go a long way because you're with that couple a lot. Well, so, okay. Um, now let me ask you, we're just gonna side sip for just a quick second. Like I have to ask, like how is it that you stay calm throughout, let's just take, you know, you just recently did an Indian wedding, right? So. In just for the audience, Indian weddings are a three-day event. It's very, very long. And that last day was like 14 hours. So how do you keep your composure? How do you keep things moving in the right direction throughout that the, the wedding day when you've got that long of a day? Um, just like a planner or just like somebody who's in the medical field, to a certain extent, you have to make sure that you're you're either your patient or your client does not know that you're either freaking out or something's happening behind the scenes that they don't know about. You just got to keep your composure. And for me, stepping into my first Indian wedding, there were a couple of things I had no idea um, too much about, like versus a normal wedding that I'm usually shooting. But I did my research uh, beforehand and looked a lot, of, looked at a lot of the ceremonies. Um, but if there were, there was a moment where I was just kind of confused, I made sure that I just kept, you know, going and following where my bride and my groom was just to make sure that I was in it at all times, but keeping your composure is number one and in, in huge to make sure that your couple doesn't know that something's going on. If there is something going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause I, I can only imagine that if you, if they see you breaking down, they, mm -hmm are going to immediately, they're going to, they're going to break down and it's going to ruin the day, right? Oh, of course. Setting the tone. Yeah. So, um, okay. So after you meet with the couple and you guys are talking and you, you feel like you're vibing with them, what do you, how, how do you segue into the packaging and all that good stuff? Um, so there's, I ask a lot of the questions for the, the wedding. And once we get down to it, or as, once we get done with those, I ask them what their budget is. And there's been times where a couple, this being their first wedding, they may not even know what their budget is. So I have come up with a, a fun way, not really a fun way, but a way for them to maybe find out at that moment what their budget is. And I ask them, you know, if I were to throw out just like a random number for my services, what, I mean, would there be a number? that would kind of give you heart palpitations, get you going into a stroke and send you off to the hospital. And for the most part, they'll give me a, a number. And so at that point, I know where their package needs to be and what I can provide for them within that price range. Right, so let's just be totally clear about the budget question, okay? When people ask 
well, how big is your budget? I feel like lots of times people, when, when somebody's asking, let's just say, take you and your, your couples, and I know this doesn't really happen to you, but it, it does happen to a lot of people. I think a lot of people think that you're just trying to build out this big package to fill up that that uh, budget, and 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 that's not the case, correct? Correct. I think there are couples that, I, to this day, I feel like you know, uh, photographers, to some extent, even videographers, get a bad rap as far as we show up, we shoot, we're done. And that is definitely not the case, as you know, and as Lana knows, our daughter, uh, she sees me on the computer 24-7, not to mention I'm on the computer or on my phone doing social media and making sure that everything's up to date with that. But for the most part, I'm editing nonstop. And so for the Indian wedding, like I had told you earlier today, it was 9,700 pictures that I literally will have to uh, call through and see which ones work. And then once that has happened, I have to go through and edit them one by one. Pull through, what does that mean? Uh, so you, when, as a photographer, for, at least for me, I will take a series of pictures just in case, um, especially like during the reception, there's gonna be some times where people are on the dance floor and they're drunk. So they're gonna have that drunk face. And it's just like a, a quick five click system that I do just to make sure that in the, between those five click series, there is going to be the one that's usable. Okay. So, so, so basically you shoot, so out of it, so they don't get 9,700 pictures. No, you would overwhelm your client with that many. You're, I think you at even at 1200, you're overwhelming your client because there's, you know, there, they would feel like there's so many good pictures. They don't even know where to start. So if I'm a new photographer just starting out, what is a good number for me to shoot for as far as giving the couple an adequate amount of pictures without overwhelming them? I would say five to 700, and that is that is absolutely quality images. That is giving them different perspectives of the, the wedding day, not just shooting at one angle of a bride in front of a window, putting her earrings on. That's actually you stepping away and getting the entire room and all the chaos that's going around it while she's, you know, in her own little moment, putting her earrings on as, as well as her uh, putting them on and you getting up close. It's just all that kind of stuff that you need to put into the, to the album. And think so, as though that the couple is actually going to put an album together. So afterwards, when the wedding's done, you also want to think, hey, I'm going to get pictures or a detailed shot of the earrings for the bride say on a flat lay or on a, um, on a surface, but you also want to get her putting the earrings on as well as another detail. So by the time the album comes, you have the earrings and the, you just got to think of um, album purposes for them. So it, it makes sense. It can tell a story. Sure. So, you know, okay, well, well, let me ask you this. How important is telling the story? How is it, you know, how important is it to, to, for them to be able to see their whole wedding day throughout the picture. Because I just wonder if if you had not have said that, I, I don't know that I would have known that's how you do it or any photographer does it for that matter. It's super important. That's another reason why when you, you go and meet up with your client, there's a lot of photographers that will not go meet up with the clients 
uh, for a consult. They'll either take the payment or they'll possibly uh, do something over Zoom, which is, you know, as of right now, Zoom is probably the next best thing. People don't want to get out still. Um, but you want to be able to get in front of your clients to see how they interact with you. That way you can better understand them through the engagement session. That's why another reason the engagement session is so key for the couple is so that the photographer has a chance to get to know them deeper uh, before their wedding day. And that way they're able to walk in knowing who uh, Bob and Jill are, like the back of her hand, as though they're best friends. And so it's super important to know your clients so that you can tell their story properly. Okay. So, um, all right. So at the end of the conversation, right, when you present your packages and you say, all right, it's going to be whatever, fill in the blank. And at that point, what do you do if, I mean, do you ask for the sale at that point? I mean, how does that, how do you end that sales process? Um, I don't ever ask really for the sale uh, after we talk about the budget. I ask them um, one question that tends to make the, um, <clears throat> the couple pause, I think for at least a solid 15 seconds every time. And what I ask is, you know, after your guys' wedding, let's, let's put a year down the road. You guys are sitting on your couch and you're going through your album, whether it be digitally or you printed out a book. Um, what, as you're going through the images, what would have been the one thing that the photographer had done in order for you to go, damn, that was a really good decision in picking him or her. And it puts you into the wedding day with them and kind of makes it solidify, well, this person really wants to know what they have to do in order to make us happy. So they go off with that in the back of their mind. And I always send a thank you email afterwards as well as addressing the stuff that we've talked about because I take notes during the console and that way they know that I was paying attention. And that's also very key for our photographers to make sure that you are paying attention to your clients. Don't try to think of your next answer like you've said a couple of times. Always make sure that you're actually listening and not trying to come up with what should I say next. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are thinking about what they have to, what they're going to say opposed to listening to the customer or client. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you gave me a good example um, regarding water the other day. I would love yes. for you to dive into that for a quick second. This is like, absolutely, it was a mind boggling thing for me when I got to read on it. It was um, a study done by Dr. I, I'm hoping the hell, I can't even say his first name. So I'm going to go off by his last moto, who did a study where he put water molecules underneath a uh, microscope and was studying them by putting and saying, I love you and showing love and compassion in whichever way that was, he was making sure that he was saying sweet things to water. And I know that sounds silly, but at the end it's insane. And then he put into um, under the microscope with water saying like, I hate you, I wanna kill you. Um, just, just a lot of hatred towards it. And the, if you were to put the picture side by side, it's absolutely insane and remarkable at how different they are. So the one that was said, like, I love you and had a lot of compassion towards it, it looked like a gorgeous snowflake versus the other one was kind of muddied and um, 
I don't know. It just looked like you had, you know, when you go into a lake and you put your foot into the sand and it kind of kicks up all this dirt, it just had that mercury or mercury, not mercury, murky water kind of, yeah. Um, kind of feel to it. Um, Murky water with mercury. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Something like that. Um, but it goes back. Fish do have a lot of mercury. Fish do have a lot of mercury. Anyway. true. (laughs) yeah all right go ahead sorry no it's fine so what's really cool about that is it goes back to um when people say i have a gut feeling about something when like we've talked about earlier your body's made up of 60 80 percent of water i don't know where that percentage is anymore they bounce back and forth but either way the majority of your body is made up of water so when you're talking to your clients or your couple and you're saying something to them and they have a gut feeling, it's their body reacting to either the words that you have said, or you've said, I mean, said something wrong, your tonality was wrong, then make their body actually like um, react to it. So when a couple doesn't go with you, it's not necessarily them saying, we didn't like your work. It's just, you didn't project out how much value you can give them um, and basically sell yourself and why you are a good fit for them. So I just thought that was so cool. I, I totally agree. And I saw the, I, I saw the, the water molecules you were talking about and it was unbelievably interesting and I had never heard that, but I think the point is, is that, and, and you mentioned this is the, the percentage of, of water that our bodies are made up of and how right. important it is, the words that we say can affect how another person feels, right? Yeah, the whole thing of sticks and stones may very break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is it's a crock of shit. Words really do hurt. And there is an actual. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a TikTok that's going around where um, a mother is trying. It's different moms trying to teach their kids um, how words can actually hurt somebody. And so she instructs her kids, I want you to say something really mean to me. And so they go back and forth, basically insulting their mom. And she's got a piece of paper in her hand. And every time that they give her an insult, she crumbles up the paper until it gets to a a crumbled up ball. And so she opens it up and basically says, now, after you've said all that, does this look like this piece of paper is back to normal? After you've said all those horrible things? It was, it's really cool to see that because I mean, it's, tr- it's true. I was bullied when I was um, in middle school and high school. I was just not liked for some reason. I didn't do anything to piss anybody off. I was just one of those kids that you could easily walk over on. Um, and the fact that my self-esteem was low because of you know battling with the anorexia and bulimia and um, exercise bulimia, I just, I took a lot of shit. Um, and I think I am about to turn 37 and it's still to this day, I have issues with just self body image and anybody who would say something horrible in my direction, it just hits me a little bit harder. But I think that happens to a lot of women um, than just me, of course. Well, so you just brought up something that's pretty interesting. Uh, I think you, I, I want you to share about is, you know, you mentioned anorexia and body body image and i think that both men and women suffer from you know body image issues body dysmorphia um looking in the mirror not seeing what everybody else sees 
So I'd love for you to talk about that for a quick second and 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 just share with the audience about what happened to you when you were younger. Well, I think this also, you know, goes into play real quick about how and why I document my couples the way that I do, because I just with, you know, wanting to be their best friend going into their wedding and kind of document it that way. I always think in the back of my mind, every bride doesn't always feel exactly 100% beautiful. Um, so I want to be that little percent that actually pushes them to it so they can actually feel like they act, they were super pretty that day. Um, but when I was 16, uh, I was, like I said, when I was in middle school and high school, I was never really liked amongst my peers. Um, so there was one instant that kind of changed everything for me where I was in the bathroom up in my at my parents' house. And um, at that time, bedhead was the big thing where you look like you just rolled out of bed. Um, and I think I had gotten it down to a science. I had been in the, uh, the bathroom for probably about an hour or so and got it all ready, went downstairs to see my, actually my dad was down there at the time. And um, he looked, he took one look at me and said, um, you're not going out like that. And I just kind of laughed thinking, you just don't know. You don't know the style. And he's like, no, no, no. You will not go out in public looking like that. And so immediately, like after I thought that I had succeeded in something that was actually cool uh, to my other peers, I was like, well, that just, I, I fucking failed on that. So I went upstairs crying. Um, my dad is a big Navy person. So a lot of the things have to be kept up nice and neat. So that kind of hairstyle was not going to, was not going to fly with him. Um, not to mention my mom and my dad never got along very well. I, they would throw, um, they would bash each other every now and then, like she, he would call her like a fat pig. And so from that moment on, I just didn't want to be in that spotlight with my dad and be that person that was picked on. So from there, I kind of would just went on a, like a diet went on a, a standard anorexic diet of 500 calories or less. I kept a composition journal um, as like my food diary. I'd give myself like little stars or little happy faces if I went below 500 calories. And then the one to top it off with doing that, I would uh, get home from school and I would be on the treadmill watching mind you, the Food Network channel. I had a huge crush on um, Emeril Lagasse and I would watch that and do the treadmill for a solid three hours. And it got to the point where my parents had to take away the key to the treadmill. Um, I would get a little bit obsessive about it and get angry about it. There would be times that my mom and I wanted to go and have lunch and uh, I break down and cry because I couldn't figure out what the hell I was gonna be able to eat within my 500 calories. Um, and then there was another, like a pivot point where um, I was at my cousin's house and we had, they had just made brownies. And I, of course, at the time was not eating brownies, um, but to, I guess, so my mom could see that I was doing better because she had kind of already caught on as to what I was doing. Um, I ate a because brownie. Because you were thin. Because you were thin. Oh, I was really thin. Yeah. She tried taking Polaroid pictures of me and I just, I, I didn't see it no matter what. Like I, I was so excited. I was, at, I was in my, in the school bus. I was so excited when I looked down and I just didn't see that little pooch and every woman's got that fucking pooch, but I looked down and wasn't there. Cause I was just, 
I was just numb, like skin and bones. Um, but yeah, so we were at my cousin's house in Michigan and we made brownies. And my cousin is a, is a, a bigger, fuller um, woman. And she overindulged herself in some brownies and got sick. And it, a light bulb went off in my head as to, oh my God, that's, that's like absolutely perfect. I will not only just eat 500 calories, but the calories that I eat, I'm just going to purge. Um, and so from then it just spiraled into doing all three at once. And it wasn't up until I think when I wanted to start finally having a, a kid, did it finally click? All right, I'm going to have to do something so that my body is great. Cause at one point when I was like, maybe in my 18, when I was 18, probably, I think my period had stopped. Um, cause my body was not liking what I was doing and I was smoking at the time. So I was doing really good health wise. Yeah. Well, okay. So in addition to that, the other part of the story that I wanted you to also share is the broccoli story. Oh yeah. So the whole reason why uh, I ended up stopping be, or stopping being bulimic was at the time I was working at a seafood restaurant bar and we had this system to where, cause like I said, I was smoking at the time. Um, if you wanted to go smoke, instead of stepping outside of the, the restaurant, you just go into the bathroom. You would stand up on the toilet and you would just blow the smoke up into the, um, up into the vent. The problem is, is when you got into the bathroom, there was no separation from the ceiling to the wall or the floor to the wall of the stall. And they were thick ass walls. And so was the door was super, super heavy. So um, I had gotten some sauteed vegetables and as I was eating it, I looked down and I just saw it was swimming in oil and my, the alarms went off in my head going, this is not, this is not good because I'm supposed to stay under 500 calories. So of course the trick was, I'm just going to tell everybody I want to go smoke. Um, and I went in there not to smoke. I went up and to, I guess, get sick. And like I said, everything there was, like, it was almost like you're in your little fortress. You could barely hear anybody in the next stall. And so when I was getting sick, a piece of broccoli got caught in my throat and I could not breathe. And I swear to God, it felt like at least two minutes, it was probably just a minute. And I, I was trying to jump up and down, trying to see if I could get gravity to work with me and it didn't work. Uh, finally, I just started coughing and I was able to get it to go down. But my thought was, is my, oh my God, no one would actually know. I, I came in here. I would have probably definitely been dead for probably about 10, 15 minutes before anybody discovered, hey, where the hell Autumn go? Um, and then I, my, the, the thought of my parents finding me or the thought of someone having to tell them what had happened just broke my heart. So I stopped being bulimic at that point. It was an abrupt stop because I, it was not a good experience, but I kept on with the anorexia for a little bit longer and as, as well as the cardio exercise. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, like what was going, right? So, okay, let me ask you this. So, so you, that stop, you stop, uh, I guess, I guess it's uh, bulimia, right? Yeah. You stopped that at the time. And then, so if, if, whoever's out there listening right now, if you, you know, if you're going through 
any kind of anorexia or bulimia or or body dysmorphia, like there absolutely is a way out of that, right? I mean, what would you say has been a, a key factor to you being able to stay in such great shape that you're in now, even though you don't see it, opposed, you know, uh, what, what would you say to somebody if they're going through something similar uh, like you did? I think number one thing for somebody, um, whether you're a guy or a girl, is you need to make sure that the people you're surrounding yourself with are the people who have your true, the true intentions is to make sure you're good. Um, if there's any issues that you may have in the day, if you're having a bad day, those are the type of people that will call you to see if you're okay. Um, but yeah, I think having, being surrounded by the people that you absolutely love and doing your research, because after... I, you know, did, I stopped being bulimic. Um, and once I started getting more into, I guess, kept broadening my broadening, I cannot speak today, mm -hmm. my horizon with um, exercise and doing weights, I just started doing more research. So I highly recommend if you're going to, if your mind is thinking about it, or if you're already on that path of being anorexic or, um, bulimic to really do the research on what damage it's causing to you because you can literally especially if you're young and you think that you want to have a family later on in life you're lessening the chances of having a child because of the stuff that you're actually doing to your body yeah exactly so uh the the last part that i really want to hit on really quickly is you know you and i right now are currently doing um we have started a gut uh, basically a gut health regimen right and it's um we're both part of this business and it's very new but what we've discovered is and in talking with a lot of people that have done this is that you know they're losing double digit pounds in a matter of you know seven days and you know so i guess my question is how is that going? What day are you on? And, you know, what, I don't know, have you seen any difference? Have you, has your stomach felt better? Um, tell, just talk about that for a quick second. I think for the most part, I haven't focused on the numbers. I think that's one thing that I at least made sure that I was not going to do was focus on any numbers whatsoever, because I knew if I did that, it would probably feel like an epic fail if nothing budged. Um, so anybody who uh, is interested in doing something like this, just know going into it, yes, you will probably lose a good, a good amount of weight, but the, the whole reasoning behind this is to make sure your body's working at its full capacity because there's so much shit in the world that we are ingesting, whether you know it's um, not organic fruits or vegetables that we are constantly putting into our bodies that we just don't know is contaminated or some, like for me, I, I can't seem to get off uh, Propel, but it's, I either have Propel water or coffee. So it's just, I kind of have to have something, but all the chemicals that go into your body as well. Um, this whole thing helps um, regenerate your gut. 
and make sure that your body's working at its full potential. And when your body's working at its full potential, you're able to actually see the results, the true results that you're supposed to get when you're eating right and you're working out versus some people just have a plateau where I've done it a couple, so many times. Um, but yeah, I've on day two of it and it's, it's really not been as hard as I had thought it was going to be and uh, no bloating whatsoever. So that's been huge for me was to not for two days, not have a bloated stomach and to feel that horrible bloat. Yeah. And so I, I think that's one of the most important things, especially, you know, if you're female listening to this, that's, I mean, this is a big issue with a lot of, uh, with a lot of females. And I think it's a big issue with males. And so just if you're, you know, if this is interesting to you, I, I would encourage you to go to, um, H-A-P-I-N-S-S dot com forward slash Corey or H-A-P-I-N-S-S dot com forward slash Autumn. And you can check out the products for yourself. And, and the, the, the triad is what we've been doing. So that's the triad gives you, um, it gives you, a um, uh, it has a, uh, the, the happy pill, which is kind of like coffee in a pill. And then it's also, there's uh, the gut microbiome or the biome IX, I believe is what it's called. Um, mm -hmm. Also, that what that does is it cleans out the clutter in your gut and puts good bacteria, so to speak, back into it. And then there's the nucleotides that we drink that actually, actually taste pretty good, I think. Yeah, with the probiotics that you drink along with it, got it. It literally, like I was saying before, it tastes like juice. It's yeah. really good. It is really good. So, um, yeah, I would just, I would encourage anybody, if you want to go check that out, use that link. And uh, you can also touch base with me or with all of our, all of our stuff will be uh, in the, the show notes. So just wanted to really quick, as we wrap up, Autumn, what would you, is there something that you can leave the audience with. Maybe it's a female that's listening and maybe they're struggling with their weight or maybe they're struggling with the fact that they don't think they look good and and maybe it's just a mindset thing. What would you say to anybody listening that that is struggling with their body composition or they're struggling with the way they look or their clothes don't, don't fit? What would you say to them? Um... For me, when I was going through it, I felt like I was literally the only one in this entire world that was going through it. And I think the number one thing that someone needs to realize is they are not the only one. And it's as much as it is, you feel like you just can't get out of this dark hole, it's easily able to be done. You just have to get yourself around the right people. And I can't express that like enough that if you feel like the people are around you are just not benefiting your life or benefiting you, you need to just cut ties and find the people that make you feel good and make you feel good about yourself. Um, but yeah, you're definitely not alone in this. There's so many people that are struggling through this. And there's also so many people who have passed on because they just went too far. So before you get to that point, I mean, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. And like he said, it's in the show notes below. You can always DM me. And I am so willing to talk to somebody if it helps them get through what they're getting or going through right now. 
And okay, so the last piece of this is just if you could automate everybody know where to find you, where to DM you, what your website is, all that good stuff, because obviously, um, you know, I don't know if, how much space you have left on your calendar this year, but I know that typically you do, you know, 30, 35 weddings a year and stay pretty busy. So where can people find you if they're interested in talking to you one about maybe their gut health or maybe their body image and then, or also the, the photography, your photography. Well, you can always go to my website, which is, um, it's not going to be autumn barrier. It's at, uh, autumn, uh, harrison.com is my website. Um, and then my email is autumn at autumnharrison.com. And then the Instagram handle is a Harrison photo. So it kind of all links together. So any way that you want to reach out, there's always a contact form through the website too. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you coming on to share your story today and I'll let you know when it comes out. Thanks, babe. <laughs> if you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.